Uh, Jesus, we just ask that uh, in the next couple minutes that we have together, that your grace would abound to us. That uh, the gospel's clarity uh, would just be that, would be clear as we open your word together. Um, Lord, I just know that we walk in every week with so much, and I just even pray for the moments that uh, follow even our time together as we're just eating whatever deliciousness Rita made, that um, you would just help us to love and support one another um, in real ways. Father, uh, open your word to us and enlighten the eyes of our hearts as Paul prays. Let us see more clearly, we pray in Christ's name. Have a seat. Well, hey, I'm Kyle. I'm the pastor here at Regeneration, and I'm just so super excited that you're here. Um, we're in the fourth week of a what is now, by the way, we've added a bonus. There's going to be 11 weeks, not 10 weeks in this series. Um, I realized I couldn't get it all done. I could barely get everything I needed to do done in this one, uh, so we added a bonus. Um, we're in an 11-week series on Ephesians, and everything that you need to know about regeneration, who we are, what we're passionate about, what we've got going on on our calendar is inside that program that you received. One of the things that we're really passionate about is just partnering with organizations that are making a difference in our community. So this coming Saturday, we're going to be on the ground with the Alliance for Substance Abuse Prevention um, at uh, the amphitheater downtown for a rally for recovery. I don't know if you know this, but there's very, very few events that are uh, alcohol-free and that destigmatize addiction. If you're living in addiction, it's really hard to be public about that. And so a lot of what the Rally for Recovery is doing is just helping to destigmatize that, kind of getting people in the recovery community together. So we'll be there all next Saturday from 12 to 3. We're giving out some pretty rock and sunglasses that Mary-Kate made as long as uh, the shipping company works with us, please, Lord. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So we're in this series on Ephesians called the living church, and basically, if, you, if you're if you just joining us in this, it's a great week to be here. Um, the, at the heart of the series of the living church is the idea that when Jesus created the church, he did not build a building. He did not set something up with committees. He did not uh, even start a denomination. He started a living, breathing, moving organism, and the problem is, a lot of times we as the church don't live fully into that. And so Paul, who is one of Jesus' early followers, writes a letter to a church in a city called Ephesus entirely about the nature of the church. And he begins this letter with themes of identity, which, uh, w w meaning that once we are united to Christ, once we step across the line of faith, we are given a new identity. We are adopted and chosen and loved and forgiven. And Paul even says that we're saved, that even though we were dead in the trespasses of our sin, God through Christ made us alive with him. And these things become at the very core of our identity, not our suffering, not our pain, not the parts of our story that we wish we could skip over. It's those things that become the most real parts of us. And then Paul starts talking about how this community that God's creating is pulling people of diverse backgrounds and ethnicities and races together. And in chapter two, which is, if you were here with us last week, we really dove into this, it's really referencing two unique people groups, Gentiles and Jews, Jews being the people through whom that God worked uh, for most of history. God has now flung the door open wide. And so today we're talking in Ephesians chapter 3, 
Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You're going to go towards the New Testament, and you're going to look for a series of books that end in I-A-N-S, the Ians. Uh, and once you get to the ones that starts with Ephes, uh, we're good to go. Uh, and we're going to look, starting out in verse 6 of chapter 3. I'm, re- I'm reading out the same version in front of you. Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 6, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. The church in Ephesus and most of the churches of the early days were really racked with this controversy of Jew versus Gentile. Gentile being a catch-all category for anybody that's not a Jew. And Paul is constantly trying to address this. And what he wants us to see is that even though they are of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different spiritual states, that they have been called together into one group. And Paul really hit this heavy in chapter 2, verses, say, 11 through 22. And in chapter 3, he's just about to move on. In verse 1, he says, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, and then my translation says, dot, dot, dot. And then in verse 2, he says, assuming, by the way, that you know, all of verses 2 through about 13 are a parenthetical statement as if Paul is saying, uh, Maybe I need to repeat myself, which is good to know because I, as a preacher, often find myself repeating myself. So it's good to know that that is a biblical behavior. What Paul wants us to see again in verse 6, that the, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. And what Paul wants us to see is that the door has been flung open wide that God, through his son Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, has created one new ethnicity and that there is always room at the table for somebody else to join up. That There's never a time when we run out of room. There's never a time when a person, because of their background or their age or their race, can't be a part of those people. The door has been flung wide and Paul in chapter 3 as he's trying to remind them again about how they've been brought together in one people he actually starts writing Paul starts writing his job description so that in verses 8 and 9 he says this this is also on the screen he says though I am the least deserving of all God's people he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles Uh, Paul also uses the word Gentiles to say those far from God, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul spends most of verses 1 through 13 outlining his role in the early church and in God's kingdom, that it's his job to spread the good news, to tell everyone that they too can be included and so as we look at verses three through uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, it's easy to go to this place of, uh, well, that's nice, Paul. That's good to know a little bit about your story. What about me living in 21st century Trumbull County, Ohio? But we need to be careful about something because what Paul is writing is, yes, he's writing his job description, but he's also writing ours. He's writing the job description of every person who has ever stepped across the line of faith. We are all missionaries. Paul is the greatest missionary that the church has ever known, and yet Paul wants us to see that all of us, all people who claim the name of Jesus, have a responsibility to live as missionaries. And I got to tell you, this goes against entirely everything I was raised to believe. I, was, I grew up in a denomination of the church called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, um, where missionary is the middle name. 
And so in that kind of a setting, there is a super Christian, and their name is Missionary. And these are the people that, like, buckle down and go to Africa and live in a hut and eat bugs without air conditioning or refrigeration for the name of Jesus. I mean, if you are a missionary, what higher call could there be? You know, so that's up at the ceiling. And then down here are, like, pastors, And then, like, down here are, like, Christian counselors and everybody else that kind of does, like, Christian things for a job, but not really. And then, like, kind of at the floor is everybody else. And so you are raised to kind of believe that, like, there are professional Christians that we pay to do this work. That we have missionaries over there in Africa handling this work. We pay Kyle to make sure the gospel gets spread here. And I can kind of come to church and say a little and give a little and then go home. And what Paul wants us to see, and he's going to hit this even harder in uh, chapter 4 that we have all been gifted, we have all been called, we have all been equipped, we have all been sent as missionaries by God. John uh, chapter 17, which oddly is a chapter we referenced last week, uh, Paul says in verse 18, just, not Paul, Jesus says in John, and John said, let's stop for a second, Kyle. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. That pumpkin spice latte in the middle of the afternoon is, okay. <laughs> Let me try this. Okay. Paul wants us to see that through the gospel, every person that claims the name of Jesus has been sent as a missionary. And so in John chapter 17, verse 18, this is going to be on the screen. Jesus prays to the Father, just as you sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. If you have come to a point in your journey where you've claimed the name of Jesus, you are one who is sent. You are one who is like an arrow from a bow shot into the world. Um, and, and in our sentness, we are called to be missionaries just like Paul. We are called to be people who devote every aspect of their lives to point people that are far from God to himself. And so Paul, in these verses, outlines four aspects of being a missionary that I just kind of want to talk a little bit about. And remember, these are our job descriptions as much as they are him, and I've kind of got them bullet pointed on the next slide here. And one of the first things that Paul says, I love this in verse 2. I caught this just yesterday as I was reviewing everything for today. Paul says, God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Missionaries extend grace. Grace is a funny word. It's a word that Christians like to use a lot. We like to say, I'm Christians use a lot of words that about like that only they use strung together and it often gets very confusing. Like, let's just praise the Lord for his grace is like one giant chunk of Christian blah, blah, right? But let's take this word grace. Grace is this idea of unmerited favor. Um, It's the recognition, you know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter two that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, we were saved by grace, this unmerited favor, this commodity of affection and kindness and generosity toward the undeserved. Grace is this idea of giving the benefit of the doubt, of maybe being just a little extra patient, a little extra kind with someone. And as missionaries, we are called to extend grace to those who are far from God. You know, early on in our journey as regeneration, I would say about six months ago, well, longer now, about 10 months ago, around Christmas time, a guy came for the first time and he only came once, but we won't hold that against him. But he, he came wearing a stocking cap, and he said to me, Pastor, and I was like, well, first of all, I don't know who that is because my name is Kyle. Uh, I said, okay, and he, and he said, is it okay with you if I wear this hat? 
I actually had to stop to think about why I might not want him to wear the hat because I never had been asked this question before. And so I said, I kind of like was, I think I kind of did like a, I can't see why it matters kind of statement. And he said, I really appreciate that. He said, um, I'm wearing this hat because I've been diagnosed with cancer um, and I'm kind of embarrassed and I like to just cover my head and I've been to some other churches where they get in my face about it. And I said, well, let me know which churches though they are and we'll go toilet paper them tonight. Um, you know, extending grace means that I am far more concerned with a person's heart than I am with their hat. And I am far more concerned with a person's soul than I am with their shirt. And I am far more concerned with a person's future than I am with what's on their feet. And I think, you know, I, I was, let's just get frank for a minute, I was preaching this to the church I serve in the morning, and for them, they're, uh, no offense to any of you that fall in this category, they're, you know, in their later years in life, and they have strong ideas of how you should dress and act and behave in church. And I don't think that's our problem in a, cult, in a church culture like ours here at Regeneration. The real pr- we're not going to probably freak out too much about a guy wearing a hat. We are going to freak out about people that aren't good looking, frankly. Um, and we're going to have a hard time with someone that might smell or that is different than us or that is a little clingy. We're going to wrestle more with that as a community like ours than we're going to wrestle with... Um, the guy that's not wearing a suit to give out communion. You know what I'm saying? And and yet extending grace in a culture like ours means that even though you're different than what I expected you to be, I'm going to kind of just try to learn who you are. Missionaries extend grace. Paul says that missionaries spread the good news. In verse 7, he says, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news and I think there's this pressure in Christian circles that when it comes to spreading the good news, I need to know the exact formula of what to say. I need to know like four memorized principles. My mom grew up calling it the Romans road, four verses in the book of Romans that she kind of had memorized so that if there was a person that was far from God in her life, she could talk them through those. And I think she once told me a story that she was pretty obsessed. My mom kind of hyperbolizes a lot, so this may not be true, but she Um, was afraid that she wanted to be able to turn the Bible around so the other person could read it, so she memorized the verses because it would be weird for her to have to read it and then turn it around, you know, and so there's this obsession with doing the right thing over and over again, and yet what if it's as simple as just talking about, you know, I I don't know what's different about me entirely, but I, I started hanging around with people that hang around with Jesus, and somehow I'm different in blank way. Um, what if it's as simple as talking to somebody and saying, you know, the vision that Jesus has for your life isn't to be trapped in blank, it's to be free from that, whether it's anxiety or shame or being obsessed with succeeding, which is often where I come from. We often kind of treat the gospel like it's some spell out of, Na- of, out of Harry Potter, like if I don't say the right thing and wave my Bible in just the right way, they're not going to come to know Jesus. And the problem with that is that then suddenly spreading the good news becomes a lot more about us than it does about the person we're talking to. And Paul's just more concerned that we spread it. Paul says in verse 8, you know, this idea that I am, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the, the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And I called this inclusion that, that, that Paul is saying that there is inclusion for everybody. And this is an inclusion in a culture like ours, really starts to mean like you can be included for any reason and anything goes and we have really no guiding principles. And 
that's, that's not what Paul means. What Paul means that this is that there's always a space at the table for everyone when they believe. That there's always, even like the quirky, weird people, um, there's always a space for them at the table. I, I finally figured out what the next sermon series, which won't hit till November, so who cares, but um, it's called um, Bigger Tables. Uh, because there's that, I saw this quote on Facebook this week that said, when you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a bit higher fence. And I thought that was really good. And so it's bigger tables, three practices of grateful people. And, it's an, and inclusion has to do with hospitality, that we're always making room for someone at the table. That again, and I said this last week, that I'm not concerned with the first 50, I'm concerned with the next 50. Like, I love you and I'm going to care for you. All right, now that you're in, let's go find the next 50. You know, and it's always about the growth. There's inclusion. And I think the other interesting thing about that too is that um, in our day-to-day lives, it's really easy to numb out and just zone out. And even this whole idea of being stuck in Ohio can kind of suck sometimes. Like if you grew up in the Mahoning Valley and you're still here, that's not always like a hap, hap, happy thing. And, um, and so we kind of start feeling stuck. And even this idea of inclusion means that we're given a role in something bigger than ourselves that I think is really important. Paul lastly says that um, the last part of being a missionary is suffering. Look at verse 13. He says, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should, not feel, so you should feel honored. I, I've not mentioned this at this point. Paul's writing this letter from prison. Ephesians is a letter written from prison. Paul, toward the end of his life and his career, was jailed for what he was doing. Uh, and Philippians is another letter. A lot of these IANS letters are letters that he wrote from jail or very near end of his life. And so he's writing this and he says, so please don't lose heart of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. In other translations, it says, my suffering is for your glory. If I'm allowed to be totally honest for a second, regeneration is the hardest thing I have ever done. And at a deeper level, almost everything Kyle has ever done has fairly quickly turned to gold. And so there have been many sleepless nights and a lot of weeping about wrestling and wrangling God's vision and kind of holding on to what I think is God's vision for our community through this smaller form of this community. It has just been so hard. And yet here's the deal, like to really walk with Jesus, to really serve other people the way Jesus wants us to, to really... um, get in there and do it, It, it's going to cause pain, which is not exactly like the best advertisement for Christianity of the century, but ours really is a suffering way, and sometimes the suffering is simply like walking with a person through ups and downs and just kind of being there. Sometimes the suffering is on behalf of another person. Sometimes suffering is just the long-haul perseverance Um, in a person's life who's far from God, sometimes suffering is just sticking with it. Um, Paul says that we are called to suffer. And and if you've never been outside your comfort zone in the name of Jesus, if you've never um, felt ill-equipped, if you've never felt like it was just gosh darn hard, um, you've not yet found the heart of what it means to be a missionary. So here's three ways 
um, tangible ways for you to be a missionary this week. And I think they'll each be on the screen, and I, I'd encourage you to write them down. Um, I'd encourage you to see every, relationship, every interaction as relational and not transactional. See every interaction as relational and not transactional. And here's what I mean. We kind of get into our mode as we go throughout the day. And so we have quick exchanges with people to get what we want from them so they can get what they need from us and then move on. We were at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles on Friday, yeah, to change our address over for our new place, which for some reason costs like $59. And my wife's license expires in a year. So I don't know. Um, and uh, so we're the, we, we walk in and I'm the, we are the only people in the BMV at 9 o'clock a.m. on Friday. And I'm like walking in and so we open the door, we go in and the girl at the end of the counter goes, hey, I'll take you down here. And so I'm like walking down toward her the whole time thinking like, is this a prank? Like when have I ever, like I'm thinking a clown is going to like jump out or something. You know what I mean? Like what's happening? And I hate clowns. Like what, what's happening to me? And, and, and so it's literally for the whole interaction, just us. And I mean, we kind of did a lot of stuff. Like we changed our registration over and we got new, um, we got new uh, driver's licenses and changed our voter registration, like good citizens. And um, we're doing all this. And eventually I just get to the point where like, we're kind of just standing here. And so we just start talking about like, so is it always this quiet on Fridays? Like, what is your day like? How's da 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 da? And we actually start having an interaction. And, and, and then what happened was like, she said, please tell me why I need Jesus in my heart. And that, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, you know what I mean? Like she just said, we just kind of kept talking and then we moved on. Uh, I, but I think what happened, what? She wouldn't even smile at us. I was trying real hard. You sometimes get people and you're like, I'm going to make you like me, you know? And, um, but when we, when we slow down enough to start seeing people engaging in every interaction as relational instead of transactional, over time, it changes us, but it also just gives us unique opportunities because when a person is on the mission field, every person they encounter is someone that they know needs Jesus, that they need to talk to, that they need to serve. And, and that means like even the maid that they hire in their house, and that, I mean, they're just relational with. So seek to be in every reaction, interaction, you know, at Giant Eagle or whatever, relational as opposed to transactional. Um, and also, this is another one, Stop deciding for a person if they'll never believe. Stop saying, I would invite that person to church, but they won't ever care. Or I have invited that person to church and they keep saying no. Or the way that they act or the way that they live or the way that they think or the way they believe, they'll never be interested in this. Let me get intense with you for a second. How dare you decide for a person the most important decision they'll ever make? when we especially do this with family members, like I have a brother, you know, my brother will never da-da-da-da-da, or my, my, my fiance will never da-da-da-da-da, or this person will, I mean, once we kind of mentally shut off the spigot of God's grace to a person, like, why is that, that's not my role. I always want to live in an optimism that over time and with me living consistently in my character in Christ and all of these things that a person will get pointed to Jesus. I want to live out of that place. And then lastly, um, pray three simple prayers. I was part of a church for a while that did this, and it really changed us, and they're going to be here on the screen. Um, the first one is, 
um, pray this, Lord, help me to see people the way you see people. That'll help you move toward a, trans, a relational, not transactional place. Mary-Kate, let's try to like print these in the program kind of going forward. Um, Lord, help me to see people the way you see people. That's scary because that suddenly the person that you thought was really annoying is actually kind of sweet, which that even just gets frustrating because it means you were wrong. Um, secondly, uh, Lord, break my heart for what breaks your heart. This is the one I like to skip over because it suddenly means I have to care about sex trafficking and all these kinds of things that I'd like to kind of just ignore or like, like on Facebook. But I mean, your heart gets broken. I'm up at night sometimes about poverty and Warren for reasons I, I can't explain. Um, lastly, help me to point someone to Jesus today. And again, going back to this idea of spreading the good news, that doesn't mean like you're at Sam's, right, and buying a whole bunch of water bottles and like the lady goes like, you must be thirsty. And you say, did you know that Jesus is the everlasting water and if you drink of him, you'll never thirst again? Like, hello. Uh, and it does not mean like I go to the restaurant, instead of leaving a tip, I leave a little tract that looks like a $100 bill. Um, you know, I, I said this morning, if I ever hear of you doing that, consider your membership to this church revoked. <laughs> You know, and they all kind of laughed. I was like, but really, you know, I don't even know if I have that power, but we'll make it. Paul, when we pray that, it starts to kind of open us up to opportunities to just say, hey, I, I'm, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Um, how are you doing? I'm encouraged. It gives you the opportunity to extend grace better. It helps you. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just reshapes your heart in really subtle ways. And so, um, we'll be intentional about working that in just to how we kind of work together as a service too. And so speaking of prayer, getting back to the text here, just real briefly, Paul kind of ends this section with a prayer. And really verses 14 through 21 were what Paul kind of wanted to go for at the beginning of chapter 3 and kind of got off track. So he then finally gets back to it. So he says, when I think of all of this, and when he, think, when he says all of this, he means verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way kind of through this point. When I think of all of these things, when I'm thinking about them, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Side note, I just keep thinking of these three words a lot, rooted, growing, reaching. I don't know why. 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is. Do you know what's interesting about that? Side note, he talks in four dimensions there. Do you notice that? Not three. So he talks about high and wide and how wide long, high, and deep. Like, I can only know how to do, like, three of those. And yet, he has a whole other kind of dimension, and that may not be physically true, and some detail-oriented person is scoffing, but I think that's cool. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Verse 20, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Oh, I'm so excited. I have lots of time to unpack this. Um, Paul essentially prays for four things, and it starts in verse, and, and you'll notice, though, the overall theme is strength and power. 
Those are the words that he repeats most often, is strength and power. Well, why would he pray for strength and power? Oh, it's because in verse 13, he said, do not be discouraged about these sufferings, for they are for your glory. Being a missionary sucks. It's hard. And so Paul ends on this note of prayer and says, we got to pray about this. I need you to have strength. And not just like this huge strength that I'm getting at, as a client at Byler Elite Strength Training, um, TM, uh, but as, as, but we're talking about soul rebar is the phrase that came to mind. Then he says, with his, from his glorious unlimited resources, our daddy's got deep pockets, people. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. We don't need muscle. We need soul rebar because it's going to get hard and it's going to get harder and life throws so much crap at you. And, and what Paul's saying is you need soul rebar to get through that. And he says, once he makes you that power, verse 17, there's some logic to the words here, but he says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Christ's heart for us is not that we just know a little bit. Christ's heart for us is not that we just do a little bit. Christ's heart for us isn't just incy beatsy pieces. His heart for us is completion, which is what he hits in verse 21. And, and, and here's what he's saying. I want him to make at home at your hearts. Not, I don't want, he doesn't pray, I hope that he stays for a night or two at the Motel 8 of your heart. He doesn't pray, I hope that he rents the condo of your heart for the winter or just a season of your life. He wants to make his home there and paint it whatever appropriate color he feels. He wants your roots to grow down into God's love. And I love this and keep you strong. There's something about when our roots go down in God's love, we're made strong. Do you know why? Because when we know we're loved, we're not afraid anymore. Verse 18, he says, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep Christ's love is. I think after going four years of Bible college, two years of a master's degree, another master's degree that's starting next fall, um, a lot of books I've read, you start to outgrow thinking of God as loving. Because I know so many other fancy words for him. He is just and righteous. What I forget most of the time is that God just loves me. And that his intent is for my good. And so Paul says, may you check this out, experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully do you see look at that he just described every math class it's like saying may you pass with flying colors this calculus too that you don't understand how can i know what i can't know how can i experience what i can't fully understand how do how can i know what i can't know and i, I actually first preached this little prayer about eight years ago at a church and this is the thing that has stuck with me since then i can know what i can't know because of who i know that I can know what I cannot know, what is beyond my comprehension, because I know, I know who it's about. May experience the love of Christ, so it is great, too great to understand. Then you will make it complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Verse 20, check this out. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God accomplishes his purpose in the living church through his people. I'm sorry, I am not on the top of whatever eternal or spiritual dodgeball team list that you want to recruit. I'm not. And Paul says, 
but he is through the power at work within me, through the power at work within you, we are able to accomplish not a little bit, infinitely more than we might ask or think. Some verses say imagine. I mean, he's able to do, he just exists so far above my realm of standards. You know, it, I just, Sky Jathani, I just saw on Facebook this week, he said, um, Jesus does us a favor by not meeting our expectations because our expectations are too low. And he says he does infinitely more than we might ask or think. It's like going to your dad and saying, could I have 20 bucks? And he says, why not 20,000? <laughs> oh, I just wanted to go to McDonald's. Glory to him and the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Paul's picture of the living church in chapter 3 is one that is, it's sent and it goes and it reaches and it labors and it works and yeah, it even suffers. But as they do it, do you know what I love about these verses is there's an intimate connection between what we experience about God and what we do. Because here's the trick. The earliest disciples, they encountered God as they served him. They didn't encounter God by like getting into a building for like 45 minutes every, every week and like hearing some guy talk. They encountered God as they served him. Peter's walking down the street and says, sees a blind guy and says, hey, in the name of Jesus, stand up. And the guy stands up. That's when you encounter God. That's when you see things. This, they came to learn this not in a classroom, but in the field. And Paul wants us, to, to be, in order for us to be the living church regeneration, we, we, we have to get into the field. We have to make it about those farthest from the Lord. We gotta get over our own sense of discomfort and whatever to make it about other people. And the crazy thing that happens is as we do that, Paul says that we find strength and power. We're made strong we learned things. You know, last week we talked about oneness, which would have been probably maybe a more appropriate week um, to do communion, but this week is no less appropriate because, you know, Jesus said when he talked about communion, he said, my body is true food, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, which kind of sounds like something like somebody would say in the Twilight movies, but the, the point is that this table strengthens us for whatever lies ahead that this table gives us, makes real this stuff and it takes it from idea to con from, and concept into something we can taste and, and see and touch. And it's with this meal that we're given strength to, to pursue those people in our lives that, that need to know Jesus. And so as you come to this table tonight, as we really enter into a whole time of responding to God, we're going to kind of do a couple things. And one of those things is, is eating at this table. It's, it, it, it's weekly reminding ourselves of the gospel that we have been included in this. One of the things you can do is if you're in that kind of mode is um, giving. We, we give money because Kyle really wants a BMW very badly. You know, we give money because it fuels what we do at Regeneration, which isn't just buying snacks. I mean, it's making a real difference in real people's lives. So you can give right there kind of as you whoop around. 
And then we're going to sing, and Sierra is going to lead us in a song, and, and, um, and I think you'll just find it appropriate. But uh, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we confess that we need to know that we're loved, because if we understood that a little bit more, we'd be less afraid. So help us to have some more confidence in what you're doing in our lives tonight. And help us to know that you're loved and help us to show others that they too are loved, that you know them and care for them. Help what we do and say and even think in the privacy of our own thought to, to, to make a difference in people's lives in that way. God, grant us um, even now that these simple gifts of bread and cup would become to us the body and blood of Christ, that we might become the body of Christ redeemed by his blood, united in ministry to all the world and all of our friends and family members. I pray this in the name of the one who loves us, whose love is high and wide and deep and long. His name is Jesus. Amen. Table is ready.
I hope uh, what you remember about our night together is not that I killed a spider in front of you. Um, but it's that, it's that Christ is sending us. I mean, there's, there's nobody else that he can, I mean, it's you and me. It, this is it. Um, and it's as we live obediently to him and pray and live out of that loveness that we, become, we wake up one day and we're missionaries. We are the sent ones. We're the ones that are doing it. And so may you do it this week. May you know that so deeply that you're loved that uh, you can't help but be bold. A new rule at Regeneration is that we don't tear down until 710. So if I see anybody touching anything that's not a brownie, you are in trouble. Uh, you're loved. We'll see you next week.